Good morning, everybody. It's really good to see you. Great to um, worship with you this morning. A little birdie told me that um, there may be in and out Burger at the membership class. May or may not. So, And no, Gilbert, you're already a member, so you're not allowed to come. So, all right. Uh, just, yeah, if, if you've been dating us for a while and you're kind of like, man, it's been great hanging. Yeah, dating, you know. It's about time to put the ring on it. Um, come check it out. And yeah. And um, yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about who we are. Why, why does membership matter? Um, and what's, why is it not like a, a golf course membership class? You know, all these perks. It's, what does it mean to be a member of a local body in the church, uh, biblically? Uh, so I'd highly encourage you to come out to that. And then, you know, life groups are launching next week, and this is the number one way to be connected. Um, we think, you know, Sunday morning is, if you're relying on a Sunday morning to uh, fulfill what God has for us communally, um, you are missing out on the bigger picture of what a New Testament church is. And so God's called us to work together, to live together, um, not just gathering on a Sunday morning <clears throat> for an hour and a half, but to love each other, to do life together, to share one another's burdens, and to pray for, another, pray for one another, and get to know each other, and become friends with one another uh, because of the mission that God's given us. So jump on board, all right? Let's, uh, let's get into it this morning. Um, so me being a, um, a newer preacher, um, a, a kind of a rookie preacher, you know, um, you don't have, I don't have a wealth of experience of being able to have said, yeah, I preached through the width and the breadth of scripture. And um, it, it's, it's, it's such a privilege for me to come across texts like what we're going uh, we're, we're to go through today. And to be honest with you, um, as I was going through this sermon, as I was preparing, as I was wrestling with the text, and to be sure it was a wrestle this week. Um, there were moments where I was, I was like, man, I think I'm getting this. I think I understand the nature of what's happening here. And then there were moments where I was like, I'm not so sure. I, I totally understand the, the nuances. I'm not totally sure if I, I get the big picture of what's happening. And here's my encouragement to us this morning. The problem that we have as Americans, as Western Christians living in a first world country, is what we do is we take scripture and we put on lenses, so to speak, of a first world American and we read scripture and we go, that's the application. Because of who I am, this is the application for me. But the truth about scripture is it's not written necessarily to a first world Western culture. We have to understand the context. And um, what I'm going to ask you this morning is to take off your, um, you know, first world Western American context lenses and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And there may be things in here where you feel like, whoa, that's offensive. Or I don't, I'm, man, I'm, I'm wrestling with that just like I did this week. And that's okay. But our first go-to should be the Holy Spirit and say, God, will you speak to me truth? 
Will you, will you override my preferences? Will you override the things that I naturally default to feeling or seeing? And will you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help me to see rightly and correctly? So can we do that this morning? Can I just pray for us to do that? Um, I'm going to pray for myself uh, as I preach this scripture, that that would be conveyed. So, God, we, we just surrender our hearts to you this morning. And God, we come to you with a posture of humility. We come to you um, with a realization that we don't have it all figured out. And we're so grateful for your word this morning. And Holy Spirit, will you illuminate your word in us? Will you cause it to bring forth fruit? And I ask for us this morning where there's offense in our hearts, Will you help us not to be quick to anger or quick to be offended, but to be quick to listen, to be quick to lay down our preferences and our pride, and Holy Spirit, will you speak to our hearts? Will you do what you, only you can do is bring transformation? Will you do what only you can do is make us more like Jesus through the power of your word? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So. Let's, uh, with that being said, let's turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 21 through 28. We're going to read through the ESV, the English Standard Version. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up behind me over my head here. And verses 21, starting in chapter 15, we see a picture of an interaction with Jesus and a Canaanite woman, and this is what it says. And Jesus went away from there, and he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now, if you don't know anything about geography here, Tyre and Sidon is a Gentile area. This is not where the Jews would live. This is where the, the Gentiles have gathered. And um, the Jewish way of, of worshiping, the Jewish God is not worshiped here. They, they worship many foreign idols, many foreign gods. Um, a lot of scholars and commentators said here that there was a, 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 de, a deity, a goddess, by the name of Astarte, which was highly worshiped in this area, and she was a fertility god. And trying to give us some context here is what the people, when they would worship Astarte is they would have orgies or sexual acts, lewd sexual acts in front of these little statues, hoping that they would somehow please the goddess Astarte by their sexual uh, prowess and showing them how good they were with sex, so to speak. And so this little goddess would be impressed and grant them fertility. So that's the context of the kind of people that Jesus is here around in Tyre and Sidon. In verse 22, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away. For she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She came and she knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. 
And then she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. What in the world is going on in this portion of Scripture? Last week, I'm preaching about the compassion of Jesus. I'm preaching about how he sees the multitudes and he is overcome probably with grief about the the news of his cousin being beheaded. He is overcome in his humanity with the tiredness of ministering to thousands and thousands and thousands of people, healing them over and over and over again. And he tries to get away and in his humanity thinks this is the moment I have just a moment of silence. And then he sees the crowds again waiting for him on the seashore. And what does he do? Out of his compassion... He ministers to them. He feeds them. He heals them. He gives when he doesn't have anything left to give. And then we read here in Matthew chapter 15, one woman, one woman who seems to be pleading and everything out of her is, is, seems right. It seems like there's no, begot- there's no, there's no uh, hidden agenda in her. She's not trying to trick Jesus like the Pharisees were in the previous portion of Scripture. She just desperately needs God to come in and break into her world. And Jesus gives her these kind of replies. What is happening? And as I wrestled through this text this week, I had to come to the conclusion that Jesus is still compassionate. That Jesus is still loving. That Jesus is who Jesus is. See, the temptation sometimes, what we do as Christians, is we try to find a verse that speaks to our situation, right? And we isolate it from the rest of Scripture, and we hold on to it because we feel like, oh, this is specifically talks about me and what I want to hear and what I need to hear. But we can't do that with Scripture. What we have to do is look at all of Scripture. And when a tough verse like this comes along and we go, man, If I look at this with Western American first world lenses on, I go, Jesus seems to be a chauvinist here. Jesus seems to just be so rude and offensive. What is happening? But when I know the overarching story of what Scripture says about who the truth of Jesus is, I go, no, I know there has to be compassion in what Jesus is doing here. And I wrestled with it. And I heard someone say this week as I was studying this, I, I, I listened to a preacher named Alistair Begg. He sounds like a little leprechaun. Any time I drive uh, and Judah's in the car, he always, you know, Alistair Begg will be on in the morning. And uh, Judah goes, oh, dad, that's the leprechaun guy, right? He's got a Scottish accent. And I said, yeah, buddy, that's the leprechaun guy. And he says something that very, was very profound about Jesus' attitude. And he says, I've come to the conclusion that Jesus was not being punitive in his interaction, but he's being purposeful in his interaction. He had a purpose for why he is saying the things he is saying 
to this woman. And there's two reasons that I, I've, I am convicted of when I read this, and they are this. One, that he is testing this woman's faith. That he's drawing out of her to see if her faith in him is a deep-seated trust and an understanding of who he is, or if it's just like what many of the crowds would do around him and just kind of loved the fame of Jesus, loved what they heard about Jesus, loved what they could get from Jesus, and just kind of go on their way. But the other reason I think that Jesus did this is because he knew that you and I would be right here this morning reading of this very scripture. Reading of what it means to have great faith. Meaning, learning what it means to say this is the gospel. I don't know about you, but when I was reading and studying this, it all of a sudden came alive in me that this is probably one of the most profound examples of the gospel in the Bible. And as we unpackage that, we'll see why. So we could hear these words and go, man, that seems, that seems rough. It is rough. Or we could say, no, I know the truth of my Savior. As we sang this morning, how marvelous how wonderful. And Jesus, I know that you are compassionate, even when circumstances don't feel that way. So what I'm going to do this morning, I don't have a, a great three-point sermon for us. I don't have, you know, I was tempted to go that way. But what I want us to do is just look at the sayings. I want us to look at the interactions and then say, what does that, what does that mean for us? Okay. So the first thing is, is this. If you see, is this woman's first word is, have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy on me. Now, why is that profound? Why, why does Jesus say of this woman, oh, great faith, oh, you woman of great faith. And I think part of what he is saying, why her faith is so great, is because of the first statement that comes out of her mouth is, Jesus, have mercy on me. Now, what we often do is we kind of carry this attitude around. And again, this goes back to our first world, American, you know, I, I deserve kind of Christianity, kind of culture that you and I live in, is everything is owed me. Yet this woman's first word to Jesus is have mercy on me. This thing of mercy means that I deserve something other than mercy. When someone asks, please have mercy on me, it means that I am guilty of something. It means that I need to pay a debt of something because I am not worthy of it. And often as Christians, what we do is we often think we get grace and mercy kind of mixed up. We, 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 grace is kind of the go-to word in Christianity in circles. We, we thank God for his grace. And what grace is, is this unmerited favor. It's getting more than what we deserve. It's not just getting off the hook, but it's when God comes and he says, all right, I'm not just going to free you from sin. 
I'm going to bless you too. I'm going to bring you into my family. And that's this idea of grace. But the idea of mercy is you are wicked and you are depraved and you are wretched and there is nothing good in you. Zero. And God in his mercy says, I will not kill you. I will not wipe you off the face of the earth. I will actually forgive you. While you are wicked and depraved and a sinner and not worthy of my forgiveness, I will have mercy on you. And for you and me, living in this culture that we do that says no, you know what? I'm like this woman too. I have the right motives. I'm not like, I'm not asking for, for too much. I'm not asking God to like necessarily bend over backwards for my situation. I just have a sick daughter. I have a daughter who's oppressed by a demon. She's being tormented. The least you can do, God, is to intervene into my situation. But she doesn't have that attitude. She says, Jesus, I am not worthy of you healing my daughter. It's interesting that Matthew is the only one who points out that she's a Canaanite. And this word Canaanite is the only time it's used in all of the New Testament. Now, for those of us who understand some history of the Bible, a Canaanite in the Old Testament time was the arch enemy of the Jews. It was the most anti-Jewish person culture that you could get. It was the people who were always in opposition with the Jewish people. And Matthew, writing to a Jewish audience, says, by the way, this woman is Canaanite. For a Jewish reader, he would have gone, a Canaanite. I think maybe Matthew's gospel is one of the most Gentile gospels because it speaks about how Jesus loved the Gentiles in spite of the Jews. This woman comes to Jesus. She says, have mercy on me. You ever heard like an older person when you ask them, hey, how you doing? And they go, better than I deserved. You know that generation? You know that generation, the greatest generation who says things like that, who doesn't feel entitled to stuff anymore? That's what this woman's attitude was. How are you doing? Better than I deserve. Because what I deserve is death. And this is why I'm saying, guys, this is the gospel. The gospel, it doesn't just pussyfoot around stuff and go, oh, okay, you're a nice little person. No, it says, actually, you're wretch. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It's saved a wretch like me. She also says, O Lord, son of David. Now, the O Lord part, part, she's probably giving him respect, but the word son of David for a Canaanite to say something so profound is amazing. Because in the words, son of David, she is acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah. 
She is acknowledging in this moment that he is not just some good teacher. He's not just some magician that wherever he goes, kind of better things happen, kind of the the way that the world talks about Jesus today. She is saying, no, you are the chosen one. You are the anointed one. You are the one who has come to set the world free. A Canaanite. You know, there's only two people that have this kind of great faith in the Bible that Jesus speaks of. Only two. It was a Roman centurion, and then here we have a Canaanite woman. Isn't it crazy that both of them are Gentiles? This is how Jesus' response to her, very emotional. I mean, just reading this doesn't do justice, right? If, if we were to actually have a video camera there and we were to play it up there, all of us would be cringing of how desperate she is. She'd be crying out, have mercy on me, Jesus. Oh Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Surely that's worthy of some kind of response. The Bible says, but he answered her not a word. The disciples asked Jesus to please send her away. I, I, I don't know. The, the scripture doesn't say this, but I think maybe they were just like, Jesus, just, just heal the daughter and let's get out of here. She is driving us crazy. This is super awkward. We're tired. You're trying to get away from the Pharisees. They want to kill you. And here this woman comes. Just, just, oh my gosh, just get rid of her. Just do something. This is... Intense. Jesus says, kind of in front of her, about her, says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, my mission, the people who my father has sent me to, is first to Israel. I haven't come for the Gentiles. And that's why I don't need to answer her. That's why I don't need to reply to her because I'm on a mission. What God, my Father, has sent me to do, this is what I'm doing. And he says it in front of her about her to his disciples. This is offensive. You ever, you, I mean, you, you ever be around people who, who, who may speak another language than you and they may know that you don't speak their language? And they start speaking, blah, 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 blah. And you know they're talking about you. How does that feel? That doesn't feel usually particularly great. So what's her response? But she came and she knelt before him. This word knelt is an action of worship. It's actually the same word that was used when the magi, the, th- the wise men, come and they kneel before the baby Jesus and worship. It's the same word used. What an incredible response. Jesus, have mercy on me. Lord, son of David, help me. Disciples, Jesus, just help her. I haven't come for her. She gets down on her knees, begs. What else does she do? 
She says, probably some of the most profound words that you and I need to say or will ever say. She says, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I don't know about you, but I can't really remember the last time where I went to Jesus out of utter, pure, and complete desperation and said, Jesus, I need your help. I I think these things like, how am I going to get through this? But my default goes towards, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to figure this out. I got this. Because I know that I'm strong, I'm competent, I can make this happen. But she was in such a place that there was no option other than going to Jesus and saying, Lord, help me. This is what great faith is, guys. This is tremendous faith. And for those of us who kind of think faith is the opposite of what's happening here, for those of us who think, I have faith, that means I'm strong. That means that I can do it. That means that I'm competent and I can figure this out. I have faith. That is a load of hogwash. It's not faith. That's arrogance and pride. Great faith, great, astounding, deeply rooted in who Christ is kind of faith says, Lord, help me. You're my only hope. You're the only one. It's Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> R2-D2 plays the little hologram. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope, right? Now, if you weren't offended yet by Jesus' interaction with this woman, you either weren't paying attention or you're really thick-skinned. But then he goes on to say this. He finally answers her. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What? Jesus, I thought you were compassionate. I thought you, I thought you always only ever made people feel good about themselves. I mean, that's what I've learned. Come to Jesus and everything will be better. Come to Jesus, and he's going to point out all the great things about who you are. Come to Jesus, and he's going to highlight your gifts, and your gifts will make a way for you in Jesus' name. Doesn't do that. Calls her a dog. Now, the truth is, the word dog here. It would be very common for a Jewish person to call a Gentile a dog. 
And, and they would often refer to these, this culture, oh, those dogs. And, and it, it, was, it was this idea of, you know, like the mangy dogs. Have you ever been in like a third world country and you go down there and you see a mangy dog running around stray, digging through the trash and you're, you're like, hi, puppy. You know, you know, like don't really want to get too close to it. You're not sure if you're going to get the disease or your hand bit. And it's just scrounging and you're like, oh. Now that's how Jews used to refer to Gentiles, but in truth, in reality, Jesus is using a different word, the diminutive word of kind of like a household pet. And some scholars, some commentators have tried to bend over backwards and try to like figure out how Jesus is somehow being affectionate in his way that he's dealing with this woman. He's like, oh no, it's okay, you little puppy. I don't care which way you slice it. And he's not like, yeah, what's up dog, you know? He's calling her a dog. Now, again, we have to understand the context. It'd be like my wife preparing a meal for our kids, and all the kids are sitting at the table ready to eat. And if we were to have a puppy, we're not allowed to have a puppy where we live. Okay. But it'd be like her preparing this great meal, and all the kids are sitting at the table, and then she goes, ha ha, psych, and she puts it down on the floor, and the dogs are like, woohoo! And Jesus says, remember, I've come for the lost sheep of Israel, and it would be wrong for me to prepare for the children of Israel and then feed it to the Gentiles. But here is an astounding statement. I mean, how would you respond? Before we get there, how would you respond to something like that? Well... I never! (laughs) Right? When's the last time you were called a dog? Has anyone ever been called a dog? I don't think I ever have. I've probably been called worse things. (laughs) But no one's ever gone like, you dog, like, no one's ever really insulted me that way. How would you respond to something like that? I would never, or, or maybe this. Well, guess I tried. Guess I tried. I mean, I was desperate. I thought, I thought he would have, you know, I thought he would like hear the emotional tone in my voice. I thought if I pleaded my case, um, I thought he, he would then like respond to me. But, you know, first he's, he's quiet, then he, He talks about me, and now he insults me. Well, I tried. I guess I'll just hang my head and walk away, and hopefully maybe it'll be like the movies, and he's like, no, 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 and I'm like, oh, yeah? (laughs) This is what the woman responded. Yes, Lord. I am a dog. Yes. I don't deserve it. Yes, Lord. I understand that you didn't come for my people. You're the son of David. You're right. 
but even the dogs. (laughs) Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And when I say that this is probably one of the most beautiful examples of the gospel, the gospel offends. Gospel's hard. The gospel doesn't come to us and say, you're such a good person. You're so perfect. Look at all your giftings. Look at all your talents. Look at the way you comb your hair and the clothes you wear. You're always in style and your Instagram is perfect and you're, you're so good at work and you're such a competent person and you're probably the best mom or dad anybody could ever have and all your, your, your bosses love you. Look at how good you are. No, the gospel comes and says, you're wretched, you're broken, you need salvation, you can't save yourself. And this woman says, it's true, I'm wretched, I'm broken, I'm not a good person, I don't fit in with being chosen, I'm an outsider, I don't deserve it. She doesn't go, oh, well, I'm never. Oh, well, I can't believe it. I'll just walk away. She says, yes, even the dogs get the crumbs from the table. And Jesus in his prodding, and Jesus in his testing, and in Jesus in his non-punitive way, in his purposeful way of drawing this woman's faith out, for you and for me, for her and in his compassion to help us see this morning that the gospel is not a message of, hey, if you can figure out your life and you can get it together and if you can straighten out your ducks in a row, then come to Jesus and he'll look at you and go, okay, you got 90% of it. You're good to go. No, it's in, the, in fact that our ducks are like on the other side of the world. One's there, one's there, one's stringled. The string's not even attached. The ducks aren't following everywhere. They're all making their own decisions. We're trying to get this life together. Oh my gosh, I'm such a mess. Oh Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, son of David. I need your help. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Lord, I'm confused about who I am. Lord, I've I've given myself over to all this stuff and I know it's not right. I I look at stuff on the internet I shouldn't and I I drink this stuff that makes me feel funny and I smoke this stuff that makes me feel funny and I know it's wrong and I I kick the dog and I yell at my wife and I, I, I cheat on my tax and I do all this stuff and surely you would never accept me. And then he says, what? Great faith. What great faith. That's great faith. That's great faith. I know I need mercy. I know I'm wretched. You are the Messiah. You're the only one that can help. And yes, even though I don't deserve it, I know a 
that there's something for me. And even if it's a little crumb, even if it's this tiny little morsel, somehow we're taught that you come to Jesus and your life is going to have this banquet of pleasure for the rest of your life and you get all the good stuff. That's not the gospel, friends. The gospel is Jesus is enough even in the midst where I don't feel like my life has enough. Jesus is more than enough when everything feels like it's going to hell. Jesus, you are enough. In that one little morsel of the gospel, Am I being compared to a dog? It's fine. I'll take what I can get. Because I don't deserve anything. I deserve hell. So, what's your disposition? (laughs) You knew it was coming, right? What's your disposition toward God today? Is there any hint? Is there any... Any shadow in your heart of, man, I deserve? Is there anything inside you that says, I'm a victim? I mean, that's the world we live in. If I've been a victim, then I deserve mercy. And the more of a victim I've been, the more mercy I should receive. Is there any part of you that says, I've suffered a lot. There's been some hardships in my life. I've lost friends and family members. I've suffered financial distress. I've been in some relational heavy times. There's been disease in my family and in my body and I've dealt with it. Surely God owes me something. Or is it I deserve nothing? And it's by grace and mercy that I've been saved. Will you stand?